Welcome back to episode number 79 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff, the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners voice. That's everybody's voice that's out there. Every one of you guys that's listening. I want to hear from you. I want to hear questions, concerns, comments, problems, headaches, issues, legislation that's going through in your state that you don't understand, things like that, anything. I don't care what it is. I want to hear about it. I want to hear it. Email me, Jeff, at the npdude.com. You can PM me on Facebook. You can also catch me personal, and it's uh, Jeff Powers on Facebook as well. You can catch me on iTunes and leave a comment there uh, or a rating. You can also comment on the blog below on my webpage. So some housekeeping things. First and foremost, July is here. It's the 5th of July. Happy 4th of July. Belated. Hope everybody's got their fingers still. Nobody got hurt. Everybody's safe. First and foremost, right? Everybody's everybody's healthy and had a happy 4th of July. Um, but I didn't make my target, right? I was close. I made it in the 950s, and then it hit July 1st, and I was like, oh, crap. But we tried. We did really good. 950 by the time, you know, it's less than, it was like just under six months. Because it was uh, middle of January when I started. Or end of January. It was almost February. So that being said, congratulations to all you guys for helping me spread the word on the show. It's fantastic. Just really couldn't be happier. More proud of this community. Really, really proud of this community. And how everybody kind of comes together. This is me sending out some Facebook comments, answering some questions, and doing some basic legwork to help people. And uh, the rest of this is you guys. You guys are doing all the work to spread this show. So big thanks to you guys. Now, that being said, over the weekend, there was a couple developments. Now, I haven't posted a show in a, in a couple, uh, I don't know, it's been a week. I don't even know. I can't remember. But almost a week. So I've been super busy at home getting some stuff done around the house and that's cool you know just trying to get things done and and birthday party coming up for the little guys so I'm trying to get the outside stuff cleaned up and done and and it seems like every weekend I got other things pulling me in different directions so I'm, I'm fighting to do that so that's a big part of what's going on because I'm trying to do things during the week and it's just all falling apart but that being said I did spend a little time and I figured out the Amazon affiliate link stuff so what I've done and I'm asking you guys to consider if you like the show and want to support what I'm doing, it doesn't cost you anything. It's one extra typing of my website. You go to my website, you go to the banner. If you're looking at the full page site, you click the banner to the right that has the Amazon information there. It's just a box picture with a bunch of stuff on it. Or you go on your mobile phone, you go down to the bottom of the page and you click on it there. It takes you right to the main page for Amazon. Now I picked the health and beauty one because there wasn't a good fit otherwise. And, you know, electronics and stuff, I don't think you guys are, care about that stuff. But I did the health and beauty one because, you know, we're kind of healthcare, right? So that's why I picked that one. But you can type in anything you want. It doesn't matter what you're buying. If you want to buy a, you know, a new mattress or you're buying car parts or, your, or fingernail polish, I don't care what it is. If you use that link, it's going to kick me back a percentage. And it's not a huge percentage, but it's enough that it could at least help me pay for the web hosting. So that's the reason I'm doing this. I'm not asking you to pay for anything to me. I'm not asking for donations, although I may do that down the line. I don't know. It depends on how expensive web hosting gets because I'm at the infancy stage of this. Once I get a huge amount of, of data that's, that's taking up server space, it's going to get expensive. So the only reason I'm asking is uh, for you guys to do this affiliate link is just to help pay for that. So I'm not going to get rich off this. I'm not going to probably make any money doing it. It's just to help offset some of my costs. So I appreciate you guys doing it. I've seen one or two people already use it, and I've just been up for a day. So I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. 
So you guys out there, if you're, uh, you know, want to throw me a bone, I'm not saying maybe all of your purchases, but maybe all your Christmas shopping, that'd be awesome, right? Give me a couple percent there. That'd be cool. That'd help pay for it. So consider doing that, guys. And I do appreciate your guys' support. And I really, really, really am proud of you guys for, for helping me get to, uh, I'm at 963 this morning. So it's a big jump. So, um, topics for today. What do we want to talk about? I, I mean, I've been spending a lot of time with opiate stuff. It's just blowing up and it's finally, it's hitting the, 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 uh, the, uh, non-mainstream. Sorry, I got an intersection here. I'm just trying to cut through. It's on the, the, uh, the non-mainstream media is, is hitting the opiate crisis pretty good, right? Opiates and opioids that are being abused and people dying. And, uh, one of the things I saw was a report that came out and, um, and, and it, it, whether the numbers are accurate or not is it's a prediction, right? So you have to you have to take predictions with a grain of salt and say, I, you know, kind of trust or don't trust the source that's saying this. And there's always a little bit of shock factor involved. But even if the number is half of what they said it was, it's pretty damn remarkable. And um, if you guys haven't seen my webpage recently or Facebook page, go look. You'll see the the, the post I did where I, I basically reposted somebody else's article, and um, it was a pretty pretty impressive number, which basically said a half a million, right? If and it's fifty thousand people die a year due to opiate with uh, overdose, and um, whether it's prescription or heroin, it didn't really distinguish. But people dying directly from from that from the abuse. And um, that's a lot, right? So one, of, one of my listeners sent me a, a PM the other day, and we were talking back and forth about the opiate crisis. And, and one of the things this person said was, hey, look, 58,000 people died in Vietnam, and, and the, the, the social cost of that when, when those people didn't come back from Vietnam was pretty, pretty extensive. You know, the, the cost of, of not having wage earners in the family and single moms now with you know, little ones. Um, the, the cost of, um, of uh, you know, lo- losing people out of the workforce that were of that prime age where it, was, where it was beneficial to have those people in the workforce and not contributing to society. You know, those are all big factors. But I, I think it's even one step worse than that because... Not only are you losing people out of the workforce and causing, you know, single moms and single dads and, and the destruction of the family unit, even more so than it's been in the past, I think that it's it's even one step removed because now we have to pay for the cost of trying to fix it. You know, Vietnam, you know, you lost 58,000 people. That's a horrendous number and it's a horrendous thought to think about. And, and you know, our my parents' age of people were in right in the thick of Vietnam. And so, you know, the... the the, the personal accounting of that and the, 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 the psychological cost of that was huge. We're, we're going to see 20 years from now the psychological cost, but not only that, but the financial cost of trying to fix this. And I had someone else on one of my, my comment threads on my Facebook page under that one that I posted said, well, I blame the uh, big pharma for the cause of this. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. I honestly think that that is it, but I also think it's even more nefarious than that. I think it's big, big pharma in cahoots behind the scenes. Now I'm not, I'm, you know, I like the idea of conspiracy theories. I do. I just, I find them enticing, right? You know, like there's gotta be something behind there. There's gotta be a plan. There's gotta be, but I think in reality, it's just people taking advantage of opportunities that come up. And one of the opportunities that came up was 
you know, JCO coming in, the Joint Commission coming in and saying, you know what, we want to increase um, quality. Well, one of the things that quality is people in some areas weren't getting medicated for their pain appropriately. That was one of the biggest complaints that they had. So now, the, you know, pain is the fifth vital sign, and that was educated to everybody. And I had one person say that it was back in the 80s when they were in, in nursing school that that started, when they saw that, or they were doing that back then. And my reply was, well, they're still doing it in 2011 when I was there. And when I was working in the hospital, they're still doing it two, three years ago in the hospital setting, in the ICU. So people would get, you know, to give morphine every two hours. It's just pound them with morphine, pound them with morphine, pound them with morphine. And they may have a three-week visit in the hospital, and they're getting morphine and Percocets and, per, you know, Vicodin and all this stuff every day around the clock to control their pain. You can't tell me that there's p the potential of abuse when they leave because they never leave without something. They don't get just weaned off right when they leave the hospital. Some do, but not all. So instead of trialing without pain medicine to see how their pain is without the pain medicine, we're actually causing them to remodel their, their mu receptors and we're putting them up for failure, setting them up for failure over and over again. And I was told when I was in nursing school that, you know what, you can't get addicted if it's short-term use for, you know, two, three, four weeks. And I say bullshit because it usually only takes about two weeks to form a habit mentally. And it takes, you know, four times that long to break a mental habit. So I think that there is a mental component to it. I think people enjoy the, you know, there's, you know, the, the, um, the way it was explained to me was that there's an allergy response at about 10 to 15%. I think this was in the, the ACM waiver training too, buried in there if you pay attention. There's about a 10 to 15% of the population that have what I would consider to be an allergy to opiates. And the allergy response is basically an inappropriate reaction to it. A normal person would get sick, throw up, and sleep for a day if they took an opiate. And they say, oh, I'm never going to take one of those. I'll just take Tylenol or ibuprofen. It's better for me. The other one just made me sick and feel like crap. Sleep all day. It was horrible. But 10 to 15% of them get a high. And you don't know which ones those are. So 10 to 15% of the population, if you gave everybody in the world an opiate, you'd have, you know... 650, 700, 800 million people high on opiates all the time. And so the access to that is increasing the risk of those people getting, finding out that they have that, that inappropriate response, i.e. allergy, and now you got an addiction because they're chasing it every time. The brain can't think right. The chemistry changes. So I, I just, I find that the, the future just the big picture with the opiate crisis is going to be a lot bigger than other people realize. And I think us in healthcare see this coming, this giant, I mean, it's a, it's a blaring red flag, you know, screaming in our faces that this is going to be an issue, but yet people still don't understand. And that was why I, I wrote the comment I did was, why is this not a priority? And I'm, I mean that in a big sense, but it's rhetoric at the same time. I mean, why is it not a priority to the whole world? Why is it not a priority to our politicians? Now, I know it's not a priority to them. They could give a shit less. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They care about votes. And that's why you'll hear it as a talking point, and they'll earmark funding for it, but it'll take three years to get the funding out there because everybody that needs to get their fingers in the pie got to get in line and figure out how they're going to get their fingers in that pie before it trickles down to the, the lowly addict that's on the street dying. That's the problem. Now, one of, the, one of my listeners made a comment, well, it's Big Pharma, right? So Big Pharma should pay for it. 
how's that going to work? I, you know, I don't disagree with that. Maybe they should pay for it. But how are you, how are you functionally going to make that work? It's cathartic to say it. But how do you functionally make that happen? Could you sue them for it? You know, as an attorney, do I, do I, would I say, let's do a class, act, class action against, you know, GlaxoSmithKline or whoever's making Percocet out there that's, that's making, a, you know, morphine for the hospital use? Can we sue them? No, because they're not ultimately the ones that administered the drug, that ordered the drug. They just made it available for others to use. And they could point to, the, to Jayco and say, look, it's not us, it's the Joint Commission that's, ma that's making bad policy, that's forcing physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs to order this stuff on a routine basis to help the fifth vital sign sound better so that their Prescini scores are better. And, and so that there is a super intervening factor, and that's a, a legal term for causation. And it would be kind of a tort causation, right? We've talked torts in the past. If you haven't, go back and listen to every single one of my shows. And then like and share. <laughs> That's my typical shameless plug. But but the point is point is true though. I mean there there's so many super intervening factors that you couldn't realistically sue for anything for that. Now from a, a court of public opinion, could you possibly force them into some kind of a um, a campaign that would, would, you know, like, uh, you know, stop heroin for every, every dollar that they make, you know, 10% of it goes to, to, um, a tr treat with, you know, opiate addiction or something like that. Maybe you might be able to do it from court of a public op opinion, but you're not going to force them through a court. Now, bigger picture, politicians, who owns the politicians? Big pharma, big food. The military industrial complex those are the main three right there's probably others out there the the, the uh, computer industry the power industry these guys all have their politicians in their pocket good bad or indifferent it's just the way it is so are we going to get some kind of legislation that's going to change the way we do it that's functional not yet we ain't because it's already started look at Kara. you know there's a small snippet of funding for education for for opiate abuse and addiction and things like that but in reality and one of my buddies that's not in healthcare made some comments on my on my on my facebook page and he had some good points we'll go through some of them his point was with big with um with the um i'm sorry driving it's difficult windy roads and sunny and beautiful out with um with these with these drug companies, the, the idea is that that you have um, such a, a big big company and big big pocketbooks, and they're paying for the politicians that that you could correlate it with the war on drugs. And and this is how I took it out there. And I'm, I, if you're listening, I, great comments. But but the bigger thing for me is isn't so much that the war on drugs isn't working. Yes, you're right, absolutely. The bigger picture is expand it to the big pharma and say, if the government gets involved in a war on anything, it usually makes the war stronger on the other side. It just does. War on terror, terrorism's worse. War on drugs, drugs are worse. War on poverty, people are more poor than they were before. We need a war on work. So we have more people working. We need a war on happiness and health, and then we'll have more of that. And if we do that, then ironically, and I'm being being sarcastic, but everything the government puts a war on 
it gets screwed up, it gets worse, it costs more, it doesn't work, it, it just, it, it's ridiculous. So it, the point is very well taken that, you know, the war on drugs made things worse. So it's not necessarily big pharma, it's big government, big pharma, politicians, everything. And, and I don't think that there's any one instance of, you know, people in a back dark room smoking cigarettes around a, you know, a small, you know, table. I'm thinking of like a mafia scene, right? When they're in the restaurant, they got the, the, the booth at the, in the back of the restaurant. They're, they're colluding to get some plan in place. I don't think that's how it really works. Now, I say that sometimes that, you know, it's a backdoor deal, but I do believe there are a lot of those backdoor deals. I don't think it's really that in this instance. I think it was just perfect timing, perfect place. Let's make money. Let's, ooh, we can make money here selling a lot of pills and selling a lot of morphine. And, oh, guess what? They want more of it and they can't get off of it and chronic pain and, oh, it doesn't cause addiction. And look at look at MS Cotton. Oh, that doesn't cause addiction. And people are crushing and snorting and it's worse. People, It's making the situation worse. We know more now. We do. So I don't, I don't think making big pharma pay for it is really realistic because it would take a government action to do that. And in reality, they would come out more rich and more powerful and there would be some alternative that would make it better. Now, do I think that there's an opportunity for big pharma on this? I absolutely do. I think if they start turning from, from morphine and, and Vicodin and Percocets and switch over to Suboxone, they can make a crap ton of money because it's guaranteed money and you're going to get it for you know a year and a half to two years of treatment while people are getting off of this. The problem is, is that's short-sighted. They could keep people on this for decades. Now, the providers are going to start cutting it off. It's going to get harder and harder to get, get providers to actually be willing participants to it, and that's already happening. So I think that if you were if you were a big pharma and you happen to be listening to my lowly podcast, you'd be better off switching to Suboxone and helping people get in treatment and kicking back some money for for um, for therapy counseling and other treatment modalities and and making money and reaping the benefits of the problem you've created. And then that's a win-win. You're getting people off of something and you're you're not going to starve for the next five years because. You're going to have a ton of people, or 20 years, really. I mean, you're going to, this is a long-term problem. People are going to be addicted for the rest of their lives. They're going to slip and fall. They're going to go back on heroin. They're going to need Suboxone. So they've created a, a monster, but the, the, the people that created it could benefit and also help us get out of it. Now, do I think that they will? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't think they will. I don't think it's in their best interest right now. I think they're still making too much money selling Percocets and morphine and methadone. Dilaudid and all the others. And that's just there's too much of it out there. But they could be the white knight. I mean, they could politically spin this so that they, oh yeah, we're we're the first company that that was a major pharmaceutical company to say you know what we agree that there was a huge opiate problem. We thought we were helping. We weren't. We created this and we're going to fix it. Could you imagine the political repercussions for that? That would be awesome for them. Their stock would soar. They'd be rich beyond their... I mean, they're already rich, but they'd be rich beyond their wildest imagination if they wanted to do that. So maybe that's the way to do it. Convince one of the major pharmaceutical companies that they could kick back 10 20% of their, their revenue and increase their sales um, because of Suboxone and other treatment modalities and uh, help pay for the counseling to get people off of this. 
they were the white knight that saved saved a generation. Wow, that'd be pretty huge. All right, so that that's interesting, right? So maybe that would work. I don't know. I just I don't know of a good way to make them to force them because every time you you ask the government to do it, it usually gets screwed up. I think private individuals have to be the ones that force this. That's why it needs to be a priority. And I think that the population at large still doesn't understand addiction. They just don't. And I, as a healthcare person, that's seen addicts come through the ICU after they overdosed. I didn't even understand it until I took the waiver training and started doing addiction medicine. And I think we still don't know everything about it. We just have good ideas about it. And and so one of the, the other comments that my buddy said was, let's put it in perspective and compare it to alcohol-related deaths. And that's a great great idea. And I agree, that's a good good starting point. Let's do that. And And using the same logic in general, alcohol-related deaths would be about 880,000. And I looked up the NIH report that he got it from. I found that online as well. And so the NIH says it's like 88,000 deaths a year are attributable attributable to to, uh, alcohol. And it doesn't seem to, you know, devastate our economy. And I would say, yeah, that's true, but guess what? Alcohol-related deaths proportionately, even though we have MAD and SAD and all those different organizations, they're still there. They've been there for decades. It's not a newly realized problem. So our, our society is adjusted to it. Is it devastating? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Does it hurt families? Absolutely. Is it sad? More than you can imagine, because I've seen it in the ICU with people dying because of alcohol-related deaths, whether self-induced or you know running over a family of four. I've seen it firsthand. Devastating. But the problem is, is that that's been realized for a while. So society has, is malleable. It adapts to things. So I think that it has adapted to that somewhat. The opioid crisis hasn't hit yet. It's starting. We're at the, the we're at the, the the prodromal phase. If you know what virus you know virus load and all that stuff. We're in the prodrome of this. We're not seeing it yet. This isn't a peak. <laughs> a peak is coming years from now. Three, five, ten. I don't know. It's 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 going to be devastating though. Because it's a newly realized problem, and we don't know how to react to it. We don't have a plan in place. It's more of the same, and, it, and, and more of the same isn't enough. They cut off the supply, but there's always heroin. You know, that's out there. You can't, how do you cut the supply off on that? War on drugs? So I think that's where my buddy was coming from. Was I think you were interpreting my point from the side of illicit drug use. And I see it from more pharmacological, you know, legal drug use. Providers like myself that 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 used to and I never did, but before you know, ten years ago, they just throw Percocets at people. You got back pain here. Here you go, no big deal. Take these; they'll make it feel better. Seventy percent of drug use, if, and if I'm remembering it right from from ASAM training, so if I got it wrong, guys, correct me. But it's like seventy percent of opioid abuse stems from legal prescriptions. It's the lion's share. I don't remember if it's exactly 70, maybe 68 or 55 or something like that, but it's more than half. It was a large number. It's a large number. A huge percentage comes from legal legal drugs, legal prescription drugs that are sitting there in a cabinet and grandma's, you know, medicine cabinet and the grandkids happen to be over and see a bottle and take four or five pills. Next thing you know, they're hooked on pills or their buddy is or somebody in the street is and they sell them. And they're feeding the feeding the the beast that's out there. 
this diversion. So those non-healthcare people, I understand where you're coming from. You know, causing a you know a, a war on something makes it worse. I agree, it does. 100%, I agree. But I'm seeing it from the provider standpoint. Is like, what can we do? We have to stop prescribing this stuff. That would cut out 70% of it of the new addiction. We didn't have this problem three decades ago before Jayco. And for those of you that are not healthcare, Jayco is an organization, it's the Joint Commission on Health and whatever it is. And it's basically the hospital's accreditation body that says that you have to do these certain things to be accredited as a hospital, a Jayco hospital. It's a certifying body. And one of them was to control pain. And so they controlled the hell out of pain. They did a great job with it for the last two decades. Great job of controlling pain since the, probably three decades, since the 80s. Really good. And then people get out of the hospital and are like, yeah, I really like that stuff. They get a little pain. They go to their they go to their pr- provider and say, I need some pills for my back pain. That No, yeah, everybody's got spinal stenosis or some kind of slipped disc or some kind of a bulging disc or osteoarthritis somewhere. I mean, that's what we, we get after the age 40. Welcome to the world. You could image me right now, and I guarantee I could probably walk into most pain clinics and say, I got back pain. And yeah, I do get back pain, but I deal with it. Like most adults, you deal with things. It's part of getting older. You don't just beg for a pill. So, and, and But I understand the addiction side of it, too. So, I, I mean, it's, it's part of their brain chemistry has changed. So I get it. But us as providers have the opportunity to cut it off. That's the big part, right? No more. The party's over we got to at least stop it so that 20 years from now, this tapers down to a, a trickle. And the heroin industry is going to boom. It's just going to boom because we created a monster. And we, and I don't mean you and me as a provider, I mean a society. So, and, and I, I don't mean to harp on about opiates so much, but man, oh man, what a, what a, what a, it's a horrible thing that's going on. And I read that article and I'm like, 500,000 people over 10 years. 500,000. That's people in your community, my community. That's 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 the city of Akron is going to get decimated, gone. Just like think of a bomb hitting the city of Akron, Ohio, and just wiping it off the map. Ten years from now, boom, gone. That's a lot of freaking people. It's going to touch a lot of lives. It's going to be really sad. It's going to hit everybody too. I fear for my kids. I really do. I really, really do. So the other thing I saw that my buddy posted about was, and he was trying to liken it to the to the alcohol, right? To the alcohol abuse. And I went and I was like, I wonder how many people, and because alcohol is a weird thing, right? Because it's chronic. It takes a long time to kill yourself with alcohol. Now you could get toxic in college, you know, drink so much and you die of toxicity and die and like kill over dead, right? So I was wondering what that number was and try to compare that with people that just use too much heroin and kill over dead. And it was like 2,200 people a year die from alcohol poisoning. And so I'm comparing that to opiate poisoning, which is basically, you know, respiratory depression. They die from not being able to breathe. And so you look at that and say, okay, well, 50,000 compared to 2,200, that's a pretty substantial difference. Now, and then the exchange went back and forth about, well, what about, you know, motorcycle accidents that are caused by alcohol abuse and people that are drunk and things like that. Yeah, I get it. There's there's tons of people that die from alcohol-related accidents every year, but you can't correlate that to opiate use because there's not a lot of opiate abuse accidents. 
I mean, you might get somebody that's stoned out of their mind, fall out of a second-story window and hit their head and die. Okay, yeah, maybe. You could, you could make that comment. But there's not a lot of opiate-related auto accident data that's, that you correlate to that. So I'm trying to correlate the two. And they're not. You can't correlate them. They're both their own problems. And they both create their own headaches. But I also looked at the, the National Institute of Health's number, and I looked for what causation of deaths did, accounted for that, that number, that 88,000 a year death. And it included things like cancers and liver failure and, um, you know, just a whole bunch of accidents, you know, all the stuff, right? It was everything. And so there are a lot of, and I, I mentioned super intervening factors earlier, there's a lot of other causational problems that could come in. Did you have liver failure because you drank too much or you drank too much and was ex you were ex you worked in a chemical manufacturing facility and got, you know, benzene in your system all the time for 30 years and your liver died from that? Which one was it? Pick one. Both, right? I mean, which one caused it more? Who knows? Was it you got hepatitis A from Chi-Chi's Tomatoes Remember Chi-Chi's restaurants, right? Hepatitis drove them out of business. You got Hep A, and it caused liver failure, but you also drank a lot, and it sped up the liver failure, and did that cause it? So, I mean, there's a lot of potential causation problems there with alcohol. So you can't necessarily pick one versus another. And I don't think you even need to, because when you step back in time and say, okay, the impact of alcohol-related deaths on society, we're already living that. We see that problem now. We've already, as a society, and, and I don't mean this in a good way, we've adapted to that financially and emotionally and all that stuff. I think everybody can point to somebody in their life and say, yeah, they died from, from you know, alcohol. Whether it was a car wreck or, you know, maybe not your first order relative or friend, but somebody that you knew. I knew kids in high school that died from alcohol. That got, got in a car wreck and died. I mean, everybody has a story like that. But I, I don't see, in the ICU, I didn't see as many alcohol-related deaths or injuries as I did opiate over, overdoses. And the ER sees it even more because they Narcan them and send them back on the street. So the ICU, we get them after their brain's fried. That's a, that's a percentage. Smaller percentage, right? And who knows how many percentage-wise. But so I, I don't know if you can correlate alcohol-related deaths and, and, and opiate-related deaths. This is a good point, though. I mean, it's still a big problem. And, and making it a war on it is, you know, from a government standpoint, is a horrible idea. I agree with that, too. But I don't know how to do it. I think, I think you know, maybe lobbying directly to the large pharmaceutical companies with profits in mind saying, see these dollar signs over here, we have an idea for you to make a crap ton of money, and oh, by the way, you can be a hero and save people in the process. That's the whole point of you being in business and pharmaceutical anyways, is to help people and make money. Make money first. That's, it's flip-flopped over the years, but you know, intention should be they're trying to make people live longer, better, healthier, happier lives, and in the process, they make some money doing it. So I, I think you could sell that. I don't think I could sell it, but somebody out there might. So listen to the show. Spread the show. Tell somebody that's got influence at one of these pharmaceutical companies to say, hey, if you want to make a ton of money, go do this. You might might be rich and be the hero. 
Anyways, I'm at 31 minutes and 28 seconds, so I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up here. I wanted to talk about a couple other things, but I didn't realize I was going to go that long on it. It's just, it was, it was, I'm passionate about it because I think it's going to be a huge problem, and if we could figure out a way to deal with it now and at least get it out in the open that what the problem is, maybe somebody a lot smarter than me will see that problem and say, oh, here, we could just do this. And uh, maybe it's something I haven't even thought of. It probably is. It's probably not going to go at all the way I, th I see it. But as of right now, there's no solutions, true solutions. It's more of the same with no real funding to help support it. It's just talking points from politicians. So with that being said, let's have a great July 5th, guys. It's beautiful here in northeastern Ohio. It's like 62, sunny, bright blue, beautiful summer day. Usually it's steaming hot by now in July, but it's been beautiful. Yesterday, the 4th of July, I went to the parade in my hometown and uh, had uh, had dinner at my in-laws, new condo. It's real nice. had a great time. It was, it was a lot of fun just kind of hanging out. Didn't do any mulching yesterday. Should have got my greenhouse cleaned out over the weekend. All the grow beds expanded a grow bed. I got like 30 tomatoes, 30 peppers growing in there right now. It's going to be booming. Last year, I had tomatoes in December in my greenhouse. I don't know if you guys realize it. You know, we're northeast Ohio, so it's pretty cold in December. It's usually in the 20s. So, and I don't have a heated greenhouse. So it's pretty cool to be able to go out in November and pick tomatoes and say, yeah, I want a fresh tomato. It's kind of cool. I think that's fun. So that's one of the, my hobbies. So if you guys have questions, concerns, you want to chime in, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your solutions. I want to hear what the problems are as you see it. And... and um, Honest opinion. Just be open about it. Here, we got to admit what the problem is, and we still have a lot of people that haven't changed their mindset about about drug use from a scheduled medicine standpoint in prescribing them. And we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth, guys. So if you want to be on the side of, of fixing this problem, you can't be prescribing this stuff willy nilly. And saying, "Oh yeah, I want to help with Suboxone and treatment and things like that," and then you know, on the other side of things, you're giving out Ambien like it's going out of style. You can't do both. You can't be doing both. But I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what your solutions are, what your problems are with this. Jeff at the NPDude.com. Don't forget you catch me on Facebook. I'm calling you guys. The other ways you can help me support the show, don't forget you can just click on the Amazon link. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost anything more. So if you're going to go buy you know, soap or whatever, I don't care what it is, diapers for your kid, and you're going, to, you're going to get it delivered to your house, just click on my link, do your normal shopping, you'll log in just as you. Anything that you buy for the rest of that day, you could even come back later that day, as long as you clicked on my link and went through my link and then logged back in, I get a small percentage of what you guys buy. It just helps pay for the show. So those of you who have already done it, I appreciate you doing it. Keep doing it. Keep me on your list. Just make my homepage, you know, page your home home link there for your shopping, and bam, done. It's just one extra click. That's it. Support the show. Some other ways you can support the show. I get people all the time say, how can I help you? And you can help me by sharing the show. That's the best way because other people are going to hear about the show. The more people that hear about the show, the more people that, that uh, can get this information and uh, and can help me understand what's going on too. So it's it's purely selfish. It's really just about me. I just want to know. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm trying to be the part of this community. I'm trying to help the community. So you can share the show. That's another great way to do it. Like the show on Facebook. We're at, what, 963? I still want to hit that 1,000 mark. I want to hit the 10,000 mark, but let's start baby steps. I want to hit that 1,000 mark first. Let's get there. We're so close. So share the show. 
like the show. The other thing you guys can do is tell word of mouth. It's another great way. Tell your friends at work. Tell colleagues at work. Hey, I got this crazy guy I've been listening to. He's mildly entertaining. He's just trying to help. He's not asking for anything. Just trying to help. So share the show, like the show, spread the word, and we'll talk soon.